Hello, everybody. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant. My name is Russ Frustick. Welcome to the Resties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. This week, we are talking about the Resties required reading list. You might have remembered our first episode in this series. We're back, and this time, we're talking about video games between 1985 and in 1989. And before you run off, before you hit pause and delete this episode, because you're like, I mean, those if, video Huey games Lewis, are... if Huey Lewis is listening to the podcast right now, I think we've got him. He wants to go back in time? Yes. And he wants to go back in time. And this is the reason that he wants to do that. Because we, the Resties, are collecting a list of 25 games from Pac-Man to modern day. So that's 1980 to 2020. Each episode will focus on five years of video game history. 85 to 89 is actually five years. Kind of breaks your brain because you'd think it's 85 to 80. They're like to 90, but it's, it's not. It's 85 to 89. Uh, each of these episodes, we will pick between one to three games from each kind of section. Uh, and that limitation is there because, listen, we don't want you to feel like you have to play 5,000 video games. These limitations and the restraints, it's what makes for good content. I promise. Uh, these are the games that we feel everyone who wants to have a fundamental appreciation of video games should play. So, again, these aren't our favorites. These aren't even necessarily the best. These are the ones that if you want to understand and appreciate video games, you should give them a try. Yes. That Found said... Foundational games. Foundational. We will also be picking our own personal game from each of these. We're like, you know what? If you want to know the foundation of... Rust Fresh Stick, this is the game from 1985 to 1989. Yeah. Which honestly just as important as the main list. Yes. I so agree. that's it. Whew. Oof. I did it. Is there anything that you, uh, what have you been up to this week? I've, you know, we didn't make time for that. Yeah, you know, just, uh, you know, doing <laughs> my thing, man. Just, just uh, chilling. Chilling. You know, in New York City, we do a lot of sitting on stoops and just uh -huh. sort of like singing at the people that pass by. Sure, sure. And snapping. Um, so there's been some of that. I, I, are you referring to the stars of Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, the TV show? Is that <laughs> your idea of New York? You know, I was thinking Guys and Dolls, but honestly, Guys and Dolls is the foundational. That's a good reference because it's the foundation for uh, the band, which was called... Hey! Rockefeller? Rockapella, actually. It's not Rockefeller. Rockapella. Hit it, Rockapella! There you go. And uh, yes, indeed. I think I was the one in the pork pie hat, if I had to guess. And I'm the one in the... the Suspenders. Yep, that's me. That's me. I'm that one. I'm the one who loves acapella. Anyway, more acapella right after the bake. Bake! Right after the bake. This is You're working with it, Annette. There's no rundown in front of you, and, and you get right after the bake because of that. We'll see you right after the bake. <sighs> Are you ready for this? Because there's one other, there's a caveat that I'm going to have to put out here. Because we are going to enter three extremely important Super Mario Brothers games over the course of five years. We're also going to talk about a weird period in video games where, like, you don't really know when a thing got released. And it could be released in Japan, like, two years before it was released in the U.S. I mean, we know when the thing got released, but you're right. Well, from a regional standpoint, it does sort of vary. Well, I mean, the Super Mario Brothers, this is a great lead into 1985, thank you. We don't 
I don't believe we know the actual date that game was released. Because this was a time where it was like they kind of shipped it out and then retailers would put it on shelves. So I think the specific date is a bit hazy. The original Super Mario Brothers, you don't know when it came out in Japan? I don't well, I don't know about Japan, but in the States, I, oh, I sure. believe that the date is unknown. But he, this is just a rule for this. We're going to go with a game's earliest possible release date for nomination. Inclu- including like if it came, it came out two years earlier in Japan. Correct. Okay. Correct. I think that's just a safe way to have some consistency, right? And, that, that's and what it, does that mean for a game like Doki Doki Panic, which was later uh, reworked into Super Mario Brothers 2? I have great news for you. It's in the same time period. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the, the 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 bigger question would be Super Mario Brothers three. Oh no, which which is a I believe a nineteen eighty eight game, and I don't think it comes out in the states until the nineties. Okay, we're in the weeds. We we're should... in the, we're in the weeds, my friend. That's not even this podcast. Let's get out of the weeds and talk about the year nineteen eighty five. So there's a lot of games. I'm just going to share some of them up top, and then we can d- dive into them. Gauntlet, which is you know kind of one of the first great D&D four-player action multiplayer games, yep. I would say. Super Mario Brothers, Space Harrier, Ghosts and Goblins. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Hit it, Rockapella! Oregon Trail, the version that most people know, we'll go into that, and Excite Bike. It's a good list of games. That is a good list of games. Let's Th- start with Super Mario, because I think that's going to be... The, I, there's gonna be a Super Mario Brothers game on our top on this like 25. Line, yeah, I agree reading, with that. Right, but does it need to be the very first game? Well, again, let me clarify. There was a Mario game before this. It was oh, called Oh my God, Mario Brothers. Not to mention Donkey Kong. I'm not even gonna go down yeah, that road. Yeah, but this is the one where it's a platformer. I mean, the Mario game was a platformer, kind of. It was like an arcade platformer. a scrolling platformer, which was the big deal about this game. This, I agree with The world scrolled with you, and it felt like you were in a living world, not in a static, like, framed painting of a world. I agree with you. This was the classic, traditional Mario as we know it. Yes. But, so... I'm I'm really torn. And you know what? Maybe we don't need to decide right now. Maybe we actually, we have that feeling out there. We're going to talk about Super Mario 2, Super Mario 3. Yeah. And then we can decide there. Yeah, we can we can table the Mario discussion. But I think in the meantime, and, and I just wanted to clarify something. This is the earliest we go, right? We do not go earlier than we 1984. We do go earlier. We, we, 80 to 84. Oh, we do do 80 to 84. We do 80 to 84. Wow, okay. Okay. Yeah, we don't go earlier than that. There is there is a window of games that we could do from 75 to 80, but I, you know, I think yeah. Pac-Man to modern day. They're all like Allman Brothers games. You don't want to. <laughs> okay, with all this in mind, I think, I agree with you, we're going to table the Mario discussion. I think we should start maybe cutting things that okay. we know for sure will not make the cut of required reading for 1985. Okay, I think Ghost and Goblins, we can cut. I agree. Okay. It's a good game. I like stylistically. I like it. I like the art, but it's okay. not a great game, and it's slow and clunky and frustrating. And it has goodbye. legacy, but not much more than that for me. I agree. Space Harrier can also die. Oh, okay, well, before we do that, in honor of Space Harrier, Space mm. Harrier, uh, directed by Yu Suzuki, 
who took oh, this game was originally supposed to be a military flight combat game mm. and he was like that's interesting but what if instead we did it with a flying dude who shot space dragons yeah it's just a and guy like, and he and yeah. not only he shoots them he shoots them with like these giant balls they're yes. not bullets they're just these balls giant, giant glowing balls and there's like kind of a spiritual sequel coming out this summer on apple arcade that i am extremely excited for and people who don't know you suzuki he made Outrun, Afterburner, which is kind of ironic because I think Afterburner came out after this, and that is just a military flight combat game. Mm. And uh, Shinmu, which, you know, love yeah. Shinmu around this house. Sort of. Um, but that said, I feel like I've done my due diligence. I have honored it. Goodbye, Space Harrier. Goodbye. Um, Gauntlet, I think we can c- cut. Do we know, okay, in terms of co-op arcade games how many were there i mean there must have been earlier co-op arcade games right i feel like there has to be but i'm I'm gonna kind of yes there are cooperative arcade games i mean there is there is pong doubles hmm. so like <laughs> co-oping on an arcade game existed i just feel like this is it's pretty significant Historically... It, it definitely is significant. I mean, we're I'm I'm pulling up some uh, research now. Apparently, Joust had cooperative play. Joust, where you ride the like turkey. I'm sure we'll talk about it. Yes. The, also, in... I can't believe I forgot about this. But Mario Brothers, you're the one that you keep bringing up. Was that cooperative? I believe that you could have two people on screen for that. You could have two people. I forget if they were working together or against one another. I think mm. it was cooperative because they were brothers. It's Mario. Yeah, Luigi. but I, I mean, looking, I'm, I'm, I'm looking back at a whole list of these games. I think, I think Gauntlet is the one that I would nominate as like. It the is first certainly one the really best of those, and, and I would not be prepared to cut it right now until okay, we see okay. the full list. Um. Okay. So then, let's see. I think Excite Bike. We can cut. We can ditch. I love it. Excite Bike, a little just fun detail about that game. Uh, the Super Nintendo version connected to a modem. Wait, wait, then. wait, wait. What? Wh- what version of Excite Bike came out on Super Nintendo? In Japan, there was a Super Famicom version of Excite Bike, and you could connect via a modem that was also only available in Japan. And I believe you could download levels, like the levels that people made. That's pretty involved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, modem history, especially in Japan, is like kind of a trip. And most of it didn't make it out here except for like Sega TV. But yes, that said. Very cool game. The first time I ever remember there being a level creator in a game that I played. Uh, oh, yeah. I think same. Um, bah, bah, bah. Okay, so Oregon Trail and Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego. I thought a lot about both of these before. They're both educational. We recorded things. They're both educational. I think they're both kind of foundational. They so Oregon Trail. Some things you should know about it. This version is like the kind of when you think of the iconography, maybe you think of like a green DOS looking version of Oregon Trail. Sure, you're probably thinking of something like this. There was a version before this in 1981 that was a text-only version. Oh, so you didn't get to, like, shoot a bunch of buffalo and then have to, like, be weighed down by buffalo meat. Right, right, right. And this is, I I just, I'm obsessed with this era of companies, as everybody's about to find out during this episode. It was made by this company called, I believe, Mech is how it was pronounced, or M-E-C-C. 
And that is the Minnesota Education Computing Consortium. Love it. And like during this era, that was just normal. Like people listening to this might be familiar with the term Coleco or ColecoVision, which was an old hardware maker and software, I guess. And that was the Connecticut Leather Company. Whoa. Coleco. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that wild? Well, not to mention, you know, Nintendo starting as a uh, card game company. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, that's all of these companies at the time had to come from effectively other things who were pivoting. Um, so, yeah, or Oregon Trail, just very chill. And that was made for Minnesota's public school district. And then now it's like Oregon Trail. It's funny that is... it be in Minnesota, not Oregon, but... Oh, yeah. Well. Ah, uh, the other one, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? The, another passion thing. So I did a little bit of reading on it. Borderbund. So, Broderbund, yes. Broderbund, yes. Do you, know, do you know much about them? No, I don't. So they actually were extremely successful before where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Because they had made like just a lot of hits. They made Choplifter and Load Runner. And oh, sure. You might later know them for stuff like Mavis Speak and Teaches Typing. Yep. She taught me popular typing. popular Justin McElroy recurring joke, I feel like, on the besties. <laughs> um, they would eventually publish Prince of Persia and Myst. Um, and what I like about including this is I feel like it's like this alternate path that video games as like entertainment and education never took. So I don't know if like that's a good reason to include it or not, but... I mean, yeah, just the whole origin of this is just so weird. I mean, speaking of Coleco and Mech, the, the studio that founded this was two brothers, and one was like a lawyer, and the other one had a whole bunch of odd jobs, and they made a ton of money off this. I think like around the time that this game is in development, it is, I don't know the exact rank, but I believe it's like one of the biggest software companies in the world. And again, before they released this, and then they have this game, and they're like, oh, no, like, we don't know what to do with it. Even the guy who co-created it was like, this isn't an action game. Nobody's going to play this. They ship it off with um, the World Almanac. Uh, uh, it's like the World Almanac of Book of Facts mm. or Book of Facts. And high schools are like, hey, book, it must be an educational game. Let's buy it. And then it becomes a humongous hit. So one of the greatest like marketing gimmicks in history was tying this to a book that way, like all these schools felt like it was okay to buy a video. It was game. vaguely educational. It, uh, yeah, I think it definitely is educational. I mean, especially by today's standards, I think at, at, at that time it probably seemed like just another video game, but something that just doesn't have a gun in it and makes you think about geography is. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the like actual educational aspects. So it'd be like you find a clue and the clue is like, oh, we found a page from the you know first i don't know bible <laughs> and where was that printed let's go find out and then you have to pick from three different places where the first bible was printed basically yeah yeah I mean, you're using clues of culture um geography maps to piece together where but there was also Carmen like a san diego or other characters might be it was also like oh he had a tattoo that was like one of the defining characteristics, which yes. doesn't seem educational. That's just like, I guess, crime solving. Yeah, it, there is a bit of detective work. I mean, it's very noirish. And the TV show goes, I think, even further in the noir direction. I think there's like kind of this weird thing where the TV show is so foundational to our generation mm. that like this game, I don't know, it kind of like skews how you remember it 
because it's. A I mean, I, the, I played the game before I saw the TV show, and wow. I'm a little bit older than you, so I think Big that's shot. part of it. Um, but I loved both of them. Uh, the TV show was like, uh, I mean, it's funny you describe it as noir because it's so ridiculous and colorful, uh, and not like grim like noir tends to be. But it definitely had the detective aspects. Oh to yeah. It. Well, this is also the noir era of like Dick Tracy, right? Oh sure. Where pennies yep. from heaven, where it's this like weird. N- it's not neo noir because that would be like <laughs> cyberpunk, but yeah, yeah it, it's, it's different. Um, I don't know if we should include either of them, but I did want to make a case for them, just in case. Yeah, because- I mean, the argument against them, I think, is that uh, educational video games are more or less dead right now, right? Like, yes, they just yes. don't exist anymore. So, if you were looking to find a baseline for a genre, this genre is basically non-existent that's yeah, not well, entirely 100 percent true but 99 percent true yeah well and that's like the reason that i it's both the reason to not include it and to include it sure right because it's like oh this this is a way that the industry could have gone yeah and like i think understanding game history that that's kind of just as important but again we're trying to be narrow yeah and this I think list is only going to get more bonkers it is very quickly let's uh i think move on from those and uh and we'll reconsider the two that we have kind of penciled in, which is Gauntlet and Super Mario Brothers later in the show. Cool. 1986. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> wow, we just like really start diving into it hard, starting now. Dragon Quest, the original Dragon Quest, Metroid, Castlevania, Outrun, speaking of Yu Suzuki, uh, the original The Legend of Zelda, Bubble Bobble, Arachnoid, Salamander, which I'm only including because the box art is so good. I don't know. What I'm that not. Looks like, oh my gosh! Can you can you search it and then yeah, describe to me what okay, you sure. see? Wow, mm-hmm. it's scary. So mm-hmm. Salamander, um, it's a snake, and he's really scary. He's got epic teeth, and he's sort of spitting fire, but his body is also made of fire, and he's in space. I, I... guess he's a salamander, but. <laughs> I invite anybody who wants to try to draw this without Googling it, just going off of Frustick's description, please do and send it to at bestespod on Twitter because I would love to see your renditions of the snake breathing fire that is also has a body of fire. It's, um, yeah, pretty epic. I think the game in the US was called Life Force. Oh, that makes sense. I've heard I of Life Force. I think that's right. Okay. Um... Okay, so Salamander, and then the last one is Rampage, Rampage, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, Yes, indeed. Excellent list. Uh, Love a lot of these games. I think we can start by cutting some of them. Yes. Uh, So, I think we should cut Metroid and Castlevania. (laughs) Uh, I I went for the hard ones first, but can I make my case? Can I make my case? Sure. I think both these games are incredibly important. And I think both of these games do not become their true forms until later entries. But that's not the point of this list. Isn't the point of this list the base? So it's not the it's not the very base. Because I don't even think like Castlevania one to me isn't even the base of the No, I I agree. Castlevania went through a transformation, but I think Metroid even though it's very primitive. Yes. Has a lot of elements that still exist in Metroid, whereas Castlevania has really departed quite a bit. I, I Let's hold on. Hold on to Metroid. Metroid for a second. 
Okay, I know you hate it, so I, I'm no, to that. no. I, 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 I am gonna make the case that Super Metroid should be here instead, but we'll get to that. In a we'll second. get to it. Um, I think the other stuff we can cut. It pains me that almost certainly. Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe Shinmu makes the list later. Huh. It feels really weird for me not to have a Yu Suzuki game on here, but I think Outrun gets cut. Yeah, I don't like any of those games, and this is not like a quality thing. I think it's also like. I don't know. It's a different era. It's just a different era. Yeah, and, I, and I also think we can kind of cheat because all those games are in Shinmu. So if we <laughs> sure. end up putting that in, I, I, it will be a tough fight to justify me. Oh, I don't worry. To I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring my entire like graduate thesis. For okay, it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, uh, I think we can cut Bubble Bobble. I agree. Bust a move is better. I think we can cut Arachnoid, even though it. I I will make the case right here and right now. It is better than Breakout. It's very very good. It's I have very, very fond memories of Rack. This is one of those like paddle ball games where you break bricks. Yeah. A brick breaker, I think, is actually the name of the genre. Um, and, I, and I think we can cut Rampage, even though it was probably my favorite arcade game as a kid. I don't think like historically it has a legacy really at all or even that much influence. I do want to say one thing about Ram- Rampage uh-huh. before we cut it. It is the first time I've seen digital naked people in a video game. That is true. Because when you die as a monster in Rampage, you shrink down to your original form and you are naked and covering your shame as you sort of inch off the screen. And uh, maybe your buddy uh, eats your entire body because they're still a giant monster. And it's really formative for me. I I had some moments. What a great game. Um, game. Uh, But I agree with all those cuts. So that leaves us with Legends of Zelda, Dragon Quest, um, not convinced on Metroid, so we're not going to cut it. Castlevania, I agree with you. Um, it transforms into what would later be a much better format for the genre. Yes. Even though I like the aesthetics of the original Castlevania game, I think gameplay-wise it is just like, you know, you talk about another era. It basically plays very similar to Ghosts and Goblins, um, which again is just like a genre that or a style of play that is just not really around anymore as much. Yes. I, I'm going to make a case for The Legend of Zelda that I think kind of, well, I mean, obviously, but I think this would be the Zelda game that I want to include, like more so than Breath of the Wild. And I think the case I'm going to make, I think might knock out Metroid and Mario. So one, I think this is the quintessential Zelda game because everything that is in this game is the inspiration for everything that is in Breath of the World in Zelda of today. And that game is still innovative. Like, it still feels fresh. I think it's absolutely incredible what this game does, the precedent it sets for both its own series and the rest of video games. So, some context to that. uh, Shigeru Miyamoto obviously gets lots of love for this game, but not as much for Takashi Tezuka who served as a director and a designer and a writer on the game, has remained a supervisor on the series all the way through. This is the guy who co-designed Yoshi. Um, Miyamoto, I, I think like the story that everybody's heard, most people have heard, is that he famously drew inspiration for the game from uh, childhood exploration in nature. Yep. But it's Tezuka who uh, had basically all of this, this connection with Tolkien, And he is the one who's responsible for much of the story. And this is the wild part. He and Mario were designing this 
him, him, sorry, did I say he and Mario? Yes. Jesus. He and Miyamoto were designing this and Mario at the same time. It's like literally they were, they would have an idea and be like, you know what? Zelda, that's a Zelda thing. You know what? No, that's a Mario thing. And at, at the exact same time, they built what is, I think, the foundational game of like linear game design of, you know, just go from left to right. Yeah. Like what a lot of shooters are. And, exploration game design open and they did it at the design. exact same time yeah it is wild so uh, that all that said i think the other games in these series go on to do other things i think I, 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 the problem is with mario it's like we almost have to have a 2d and a 3d mario because i think they're such different things but i think mario has gone off in a variety of different ways way more so than zelda um, I think Metroid obviously had a pretty clear trajectory, but what I think is wild about Zelda to me is they get it right here, and I actually think that they get further away from what made it great and then come back to it. And that that to me is just like unbelievable, I, the game that came out in 86. I completely agree. Uh, you know, of all the games that we've talked about so far, there was no with a bullet one. Mm-hmm. more so than the legend of zelda the original legend of zelda um so yeah it's it's gonna go in the list um which will make the rest of this a little more challenging but uh i completely agree um let's talk about dragon quest really quick so dragon quest uh the original dragon quest was called dragon warrior in the u.s but were effectively they were, they were the same game um correct me if i'm wrong this predates final fantasy I believe that's right. I believe Final Fantasy is the next year, is 87. And, um, I mean, it's it's very tough for me to remove my pretty intense loathing of JRPGs from this (laughs) element. Uh, And a lot of that is an issue just because I don't have the frame of reference to know what specific elements of Dragon Quest have sort of carried through the canon. Um, So maybe you can speak to that, but... Yeah, I'm. I, so I am. I am not the world's leading historian on Dragon Quest by any means, but I will say from what I understand, having played bits and pieces of many of them, and having listened to our friends at Into the Ether, who I think played through all of them at this point, um, is that Dragon Quest. You know what you're going to get with Dragon Quest, right? That like Dragon Quest three and Dragon Quest today. The, it's a familiar flavor. And that's what they are selling you. It, it gets better and better, not better and better. It gets more and more polished each time, kind of like Pokemon in a certain way. Mm. Where Final Fantasy is the one that I would say takes risks for better or for worse. Um, you know, you can have pretty big departures in what a Final Fantasy game is, even in the main line. Um, I don't know if either of those things really determine whether or not we should choose one or the other or both or whatever in this period. I guess I would say for Dragon Quest, knowing that, I would sooner pick a later version of that game. Sure. And honestly, and Final Fantasy, as we kind of transition to 87 here, I would sooner pick later versions of it because I do want people to actually be able to play these games. Like if it's a required reading list, right? Yeah, sure. And I think while they Dragon Quest may be foundational in bringing the you know, role-playing experience to a system. 
I, I think it's a really tough ask. It is. Uh, to yeah, get anybody to play that game. I and, played the original, I think, on when it came out on Game Boy Color, one of the portable platforms. And it and it just feels like a relic of another time. It is not, you know, it's just, it's very stiff. Um, and I'm sure there are elements that were first introduced there uh, versus other video games. Uh, I don't know. I agree with you. I think there's probably a more representative thing. I, if I had to guess, think that we're going to end up on this overall list, including a Final Fantasy game and not including a Dragon Quest game, if I had to guess, but I guess we'll we'll find out. We'll see. We'll see. I, yeah, I'm not entirely sure on that. I, I think we will definitely include a Final Fantasy I want to table the Metroid discussion to okay. the short list before we really have to narrow it down. Uh, let's jump to 1987. Okay. We'll go through that. 87, we have the original Metal Gear, not Metal Gear Solid, Metal yes. Gear. We have Contra, we have Punch-Out, Double Dragon, Mega Man, the original Final Fantasy, Blades of Steel. I voluntarily cut Blades of Steel. Yeah, you can cut that, even though it was a good hockey game. It's a good good game. Uh, Very cool-sounding hockey game. Uh, The original Mega Man is terrible. It's a bad. Uh, There's another Mega Man game that I would include. We'll get to it. Uh, But uh, I don't think we need to include the first Mega Man game. Correct. the original Metal Gear is pretty rough, even though it has kind of elements of what would later become Metal Gear. It's so rough around the edges and bad that uh, I can't justify anyone really playing it. Um, Also, it it is, even though the games have the same name, basically, it's more like inspiration for what would happen with Metal Gear Solid. I, I mean, there say. are there's there are a lot of things that care, like you can like smoke cigarettes in the original Metal Gear and you sneak sure. up on guys and they fall asleep and, you know, you, you crouch in the grass and stuff like there's Metal Gear stuff in there. It's just like what was the like cinematic truth of Metal Gear, like what became this franchise staple did not happen until Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid. So. I think we could probably just cut it for now. Yeah. Um, I can't put Contra on this I list. mean, Contra's very good, but yeah. It's very know. good, but I, I can't. The only one of these that I feel like very strongly about, I'm not saying it's going to make the final cut, is Punch-Out. Interesting. Why is that? And this is not the right reason, because I know this is a different list, but fuck. Punch-Out's so good. I can still play Punch-Out every single day. We have our personal list. I know. Yeah, maybe maybe that's a personal list thing. Um, Double Dragon, obviously, pretty foundational from a, like, a beat-em-up standpoint um, for like co-op beat-em-up games. There's a better game, though, that's going to come in the next before the end of this podcast mm, that does Double Dragon, in my opinion, way better. Good tease. Um, yeah, and then I... I agree with Mega Man 2 is much better. Final Fantasy, I I would just sooner recommend Final Fantasy 6 if we want to get into the 2D games or 7, 7 Remake even, if we want to talk about appreciating what Final Fantasy in its entirety has to offer and its kind of influences. Yeah. I think even, I mean, I, I guess, I don't know if we can include Remake. Maybe that's 20. I don't know what year that is. I think we're um, skipping 1987 as a whole. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. Um, but that's okay, because 1988, video games come back with a vengeance. 
1988, we have Super Mario Brothers 3, Mega Man 2, Ninja Gaiden, King's Quest 4, Blaster Master, John Madden Football, and Snatcher. Speaking of Kojima, this is the earliest, earliest version of Snatcher. Kojima would make this, like, came out for Sega CD, I think, like, eight years later. Yeah, Snatcher's the only one of these that I've never played. Yeah, I I am not, I'm fine with cutting it, other than just recognizing that, like, holy moly, Kojima was doing his thing really a long time ago. Yeah. Like, I think it, it can be lost of how long my dude has been been doing this. Um, I Blaster Master will probably be on my personal list, probably. Yeah. I think we can cut it, but I think it's just incredible that how it approached scale on the NES when you you could basically be outside of your mech car tank thing and the world would feel very like claustrophobic and you'd be in like little cavern areas and then you would get into your vehicle and suddenly it was small in these giant worlds um just really clever sense of making you feel like you're in an actual like big world which i don't think any game of that era does as well as that. I mean, maybe JRPGs, but certainly not action games. Yeah, I I love Blaster Master, so that's completely accurate. Um, maybe we should talk a little bit about Mega Man 2, because mm-hmm. Mega Man 2, I think, is the first time that this series kind of like all clicked. Uh, I had mentioned previously Mega Man 1 being kind of bad. A lot of that just has to do with balance. The Mega Man, even though like there's a lot of similarities between, between the two games, Mega Man 1 was just like difficult to the point of just not fun. There is like yeah. a lot of design choices that changed in Mega Man 2 that made the whole concept click in such a way that like a whole series of games, whether it's the main Mega Man games or Mega Man X, built off of Mega Man 2. And even despite that, like Mega Man 2 still hits highs that most of those games do not. Um, It's pretty spectacular level design wise, enemy, you know, boss fight wise. um, Really quite a high point of the series. You know, given how selective we're being, is it going to get included? I don't know, but um, definitely worth considering. Yeah, I I especially like the open-endedness of it, of being able to kind of pick which... You know, you basically pick which boss you want to go after. Yeah, that was something that was in the first one. I'm oh, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, I'm just saying it actually works here. Yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, and being able to like get their weapon and then use it to get through the rest of the game. I just, I, I think that's very clever and something that I, I think it had to have been a nightmare to balance and something that we don't see a whole lot. I think that Crackdown 3 kind of promised to be something like that at some point. Where it's like, you can go anywhere and you can break down gangs and go after bosses and make sure that they're guards down by taking out the lieutenants and all that stuff. And and that kind of, I mean, it's there, but it's thin. Yeah. Um, Super Mario Brothers 3, debatably the best 2D Mario game, unless you like Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario World, or if you're yeah. one of those like sickos like me who likes... New Super Mario Brothers Wii U. <laughs> it's a great. Game. What it, What do you think it is that? I mean, apart from like more powers, better graphics, etc. Uh huh. What do you think it is that elevates three 
over Super Mario Brothers the original? Uh, I think, I mean, yeah, it looks beautiful. I think it makes good on the fantasy of Super Mario Brothers. Like, there's actually kind of a world. It feels more like playing the um, the instruction manual. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you can go on these airships. And you, the, there's these worlds where you can go behind the world and, like, be behind like be behind the 2D map painting. And it's intentionally there, right? Like, you, you can see your silhouette. Um, the whole, like, kind of theater aesthetic that it has going on. There's just a, like, cohesion to it that that I think the first one doesn't have, or it has, but it's more like kind of fainting at it. Sure. Um, you know, you being able to jump outside of the bounds of the game is, it doesn't visualize that in any way that you would know or think to do it. Um, and it really does feel like the game is broken in a certain way. That said, that's kind of what I like about the original. Yeah. Um, I, and it's not to, and, and just keep in mind, like the physics of Mario, even though they have changed, certainly, were really defined by the original. Like the yeah. the feel of jumping, the original like kind of set that standard and they've been tweaked a little bit, but but predominantly like that's where it comes from. And so many platforming games owe so much to that core. Yeah. And so, so many the question is really still like, worse. Do, <laughs> do you sorry? I was just saying that so many platforming games are still worse with Oh yeah, definitely. Like, how many times have we played through little big planet levels? Being like, please, just give me anything that feels close to any Mario game. A jump. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I agree. Uh, let's, we'll, we'll bold it for now. And then once we get to narrowing down, we'll see if uh, Mario Brothers 3. But I think the rest of these games, Ninja Gaiden is a good action game, but not a great one. Um, King's Quest 4, I mean, you know, there's obviously a lot of like point and click adventure games that we could include over the years. I it, it you talk about a dead genre. It's pretty much a dead like there are a few Steam games that come out a year that like play with the genre, but not to the point of major impact. And I think we kind of need to include stuff that has still a major impact on the world of gaming. So I would probably just cut that. Uh John Madden football, there's just a better football game from this era in Time oh. Super Bowl. Mm, okay, mm, I, I I'll push back on that. Okay, because I think this game, I think literally the NFL doesn't exist today as it is without John Madden football. But do and you I think, think that happened th- th- at this I, moment. I, I do because so the whole way this game happens is the the team that wanted to make this game wanted a real football game where you had all of the players on the field. Okay. That was a whole problem at the time is, you know, making a football game that had en- like basically enough processing power to get that many characters on the field and simulate it. Yeah. Was next to impossible. And getting Madden involved is like why that happened because he was very adamant that Trip Hawkins and company really follow through on that. So there's like this like kind of apocryphal story of, you know, John Madden had a terrible fear of flying. So he had to travel by bus and train. Yeah. And that their second, I guess, the big meeting that solidified this was basically because he was stuck on a long Amtrak trip, and they just like sold him on it. And he was his thing was, hey, he had he had already taught football. I can't remember what he taught a class on on basically why football matters for normal people um, somewhere before all this, 
And then he makes this game, and the way that Madden is made versus Tecmo or anything else, it is very much about educating people on how football works. So I think like if I had to say, you know, how is the NFL where it is today? I think it is NFL films made it more cinematic. So it's it's actually better to watch a football game on your TV than it is to watch it in the stands in most cases. And Madden as a series making it more understandable. I don't know. I'm not saying that it needs to be on the list. I I'm just saying like if we are going to have basically a sports game, I think it would this would be the one i mean or nba jam <laughs> yeah but like I, nba jam is very fun but like uh, nba jam again is like kind of like a flash in the pan right like sure it doesn't really play like the sport it has a moment and then it kind of like disappears um where i think this has a longer appeal i let's just bold it for now okay well i'm not saying we'll keep it sure um okay and now we're, we're gonna jump to 1989 the, yes the final year of our five years for this chunk and this is another like barn burner yeah so 89 we have sim city mother which is the prequel to earthbound effectively only came out in japan uh river city ransom populous prince of persia fantasy star 2 and Tetris, specifically the Game Boy edition. Okay, so uh, I guess we'll do cuts first, right? Populous can probably go. Sorry to, sorry to Peter Molyneux. He made mm-hmm. a lot of weird games, including Populous. Uh, but it's it was also arguably the first God game. I think that would be its significance. Yeah, I mean, you played as a God, but effectively you could make that same argument about SimCity where yeah, you can yeah, summon yeah, tornadoes. Yeah. Um, I think we can cut Mother. I think so, too. Prince of... Uh, I don't know enough about Fantasy Star 2. I, we can cut Fantasy Star 2. If we're going to okay. also cut Dragon Quest, I think we have to cut Fantasy Star 2. Okay. I'm, just, so, I'm trying to you know spread the representation of JRPGs. Sure. So I guess the question I would have is, you have Tetris, and it says Game Boy Edition. My recollection and this might be totally wrong i thought that that version of tetris was like the version of tetris like oh no that's not the first version no 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 the the russian version is the first version right but in terms of the one that was like widely distributed i i think this is the one that is that had the most impact culturally because this is the game, like, you know, Hillary Clinton is famously photographed playing it on a plane. Yeah. Right? Like, it gets Game Boys in a gajillion people's hands. And, I, yeah, I think the case for it is like a double whammy of Tetris itself is just the foundational puzzle video game. Um, yes. It, so- it will be on this list in some form, I think. The question is... Oh, I I understand. So, yeah, just for some history, because I just looked it up. So it came out in the USSR in 1984. Uh, It didn't hit the EU until 1987 and then North America in 1988. And then obviously the Tetris version would come out afterwards. This was the first like portable version, 1989 on the Game Boy. Um, I I think even though it was a huge deal for Tetris to be on a portable platform and like kind of defining i think the game itself is even more of a deal like it is 
maybe yes. the most timeless game ever made in terms of video games. And it's Cold War era politics of 84, I think is like incredibly significant. Yeah, I, so I, think I, we I can would probably cheat. look earlier. Yeah, I think we can cheat, use the 84 game, and we'll get it. We'll get, I think we'll get it in there on okay. that list. Um, for, for people who want to read ahead, uh, Tetris, The Games People Play by uh, Box Brown is a great, 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 great gaf- graphic novel um, that's like the history of Tetris, like how it came to be and its distribution and all that stuff. Very cool. Um, uh, blah, blah, blah. Prince of Persia, another Broderbund publishing thing. Jordan Mechner, the, the designer. Um, what? I mean, rotoscoping is, I guess, the big claim there is that he rotoscoped his brother into the game. Yeah, and also the, just the overall feel of moving through that world is, like, pretty foundational just because it, you know, and a lot of that has to do with the rotoscoping, like, feels very realistic or looks very realistic for the time. It was, like, way ahead of its time. You know, as a game, it's it's very stiff today, but I yeah. understood. I mean, I had a heck of a time playing it when it came out back then. Yeah, I don't know if I would include it, but I will say, like, for people who like game history, and that's why you're listening to this episode, there's a book called The Making of Prince of Persia. I think it's Journals 1985 to 1993, and it's by Jordan Mechner, and it's literally the journals that he was documenting the process of making this game with like photos and annotations. And it is one of the coolest books on game design um, for like just anybody, let alone somebody who wants to, you know, actually be a game designer Um, stuff that is left here. I guess that that leaves river city ransom and sim city. Yeah. I I know river city ransom is obviously the beat em up that you're referring to earlier when we were talking about double dragon. Um, It's certainly worth, uh, shortlisting that uh sim city um definitely man super impactful even today uh obviously there you know the the brand sim city is not exactly super active right now but has informed a lot yeah i mean i i think the sims brand whether it's sim city or sim yeah i would not i you know I think the origins, I think SimCity and The Sims, even though there are under the same branding, are so different that I would not really consider SimCity to be the Mm. progenitor to The Sims. But certainly, you know, you see its impact on a game like City Skylines, which is a huge deal now. Um, And there are other like Sim uh, city building games that owe a lot, if not everything, to the original SimCity. Yeah. I certainly think there are better SimCity games than the first one. Uh, I have a specific fondness for SimCity 2000. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I would say that we should include this game because I think it is this fiercely political game, even if I don't think the politics in it are especially great, especially in hindsight. I think they're pretty messy. But... It has this great idea of Will Wright, the you know lead designer, reading about city planning and basically using his beliefs on city planning as the win and loss states for this game. So even though you think you're designing a, a city to be the best 
city, right? You're actually designing to rules like you are in any video game. Yeah. So it's kind of subversively teaching you that the best way to build a city in the game is just the best way to build a city. Um, if yeah. that makes sense, which is which is a trip. Um, I found this quote from a New York Times write-up from literally 1989, so like right when the game is coming out. And it said that Will Wright was also intrigued by a story by Stanislaw Lem called The Seventh Sally, which is appears in the Mind's Eye, a collection edited by yada, yada, yada. The important part is, in the Lem story, a banished tyrant returns to his despotic ways after being given control over a simulated city. Whoa. So it was literally the story of like a, a this like old tyrant being like, well, we need to keep that that person entertained. Let's make a Sim City for them, and that'll feed the hunger. And, and then us. he made that for just everybody, <laughs> which is just <laughs> hilarious. The other uh, callback here, Broderbund, star of the episode, actually opted not to publish this game. Big mistake. And then they, like Will Wright takes over to a little company called Maxis. Maxis is like, yeah, sure, seems great. We don't have a lot of experience in this. Broderbund comes back and is like, you know what? I think we made a mistake. And they distribute for Maxis. Oh, the good game. for them. Yeah, but like they, they threw away the the entire sense. It was the Golden Goose. <laughs> Franchise. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, even though literally this didn't create The Sims, Will Wright in many ways did. Um, along with all these other games. And I I mean, it's just a hell of a legacy, this game. Yeah. Um, so, okay. yeah. We have our, I'm going to read out our shortlist, and then we'll take a break, and we'll narrow it down okay. when we get back. Shortlist. Gauntlet. Super Mario Brothers. The original Metroid. The original Legends of Zelda. Uh, Super Mario Brothers 3. Mega Man 2. John Madden Football. SimCity. River City Ransom. Okay, we're back. Are you ready to to do the final? So I I, I set up top one to three. I I, I lied. It's two to four. We're including two we can... to four games. Two to in four. This group. Yeah. If if we really want to, you know, we could take five here, but that means later on we're gonna be, you know. Yeah. Okay. Understood. It's gonna hurt us. So I I I think two to three is like it. Four. That means we're probably not gonna take four ever again. Okay. So we'll we'll, we'll plan for two to three. Okay. Uh, and we're going to be pretty fierce in cutting things right now. Uh, Gauntlet, I think, toss it. Got it's it. It's gone. Uh, I'm not even going to justify it because time is running low. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to cut River City Ransom because okay. I, I, it's going to be my my pocket game for oh, myself. And I'll talk about it there. You, you did so, talk about Blaster Master, but okay. Um, let's see. Are there other ones that I would immediately cut? I would mm. immediately cut... I think we need to decide between Super Mario Brothers and Super Mario Brothers three. I think Super Mario Brothers one. I agree with you. I think one is the way to go. I think Mega Man two is great. I do not feel it is absolutely mandatory for people to play Mega Man two. I also agree. I, I think say, John I, Madden is great, but I think it is more important to play John Madden to understand football than it is to play <laughs> video games. I agree. Uh, so that leaves us with Sim City, Metroid, The Legend of Zelda. And Super Mario Brothers. I think we cut Metroid. I think we probably cut Metroid. And, and again, that's because I am feeling very confident that we pick up Metroid later on. I, I agree with you. We will pick up Metroid later on. Um, so that leaves us with three. 
Do you want to cut down to two or do you feel good about three? Okay, so the three are SimCity, The Legends of Zelda, and Super Mario Brothers. In cutting down to two, we're doing, because that would be like, hey, you know what? I bet there's going to be a five-year chunk coming up where we need five. Yeah, I haven't looked ahead enough to know, but I think all three of these games are like, again, super foundational and important um, for differing reasons. And so I think we should leave it and then we should start talking about uh, what our personal picks are. Okay, so our picks for the required reading list, 1985 to 1989, are Super Mario Brothers, The Legend of Zelda, and SimCity. Yes, and then you and I will select our personal faves, correct? Yes, do you want to do that right now? Yeah, you go first. I think you already teased it. Okay, River City Ransom is my personal pick for this. River City Ransom, I mean, it it is a game like Master Blaster where it felt to me as a kid like I was actually going to another planet. (laughs) In in this case, well, I mean, I think they like tried to make it look like it was a town in America, but it's clearly a town in Japan. Um, It is part of a Japanese series called uh, Kunio-kun, which is huge there. It is still going. Um, I believe that there's a new entry coming out on Steam in the States called River City Saga Three Kingdoms. I think that comes out in the U.S. this summer. Um, what? It's a yeah. Three Kingdoms? It's like... a Three Kingdoms version of River City Ransom. Amazing. It looks awesome. <laughs> um, I pray that it actually comes out here. I'm kind of worried that it never will um, because I think it's already out in Japan. But yeah, I mean, this to me is the game that sets video games on the track for stuff like Grand Theft Auto. Because unlike, it's like Double Dragon, but there's a lot more freedom in where you go around the city. You are stopping in shops and like buying, you know, weapons or uh, health. You can eat at restaurants. It feels more like you live in this place. And I say that now, today, if you went in, you'd be like, okay, so there are menus inside of buildings for you to buy things and it kind of has a generic impact on you yes correct but at the (laughs) time it felt like a whole breathing world and yeah it's incredible it it borrowed elements that had appeared in like rpgs but never appeared in action games like the idea like imagine you were playing contra and suddenly there was a restaurant and you could order a a meal in contra like that's how weird it was and it and plants right like it brought the entire world to life in a really cool way. Um, and it's fun as hell. And and you could like pick up items around the streets. I believe you could pick up your friends in that one too. Yeah. You can later correct. on. So the world itself felt like a place, you know, yeah. it wasn't just a static drawing that you moved around in. Yes. Um, um, what, what is yours? Mine is punch out. Oh, well, I mean, that makes sense. You, you love punch out. I do love punch out. It's a weird one. For a number of reasons, one of which, obviously, there's a lot of, like, not the best stereotyping in (laughs) Punch-Out. I'd go so far as to say it's bad. Um, And yet, I find myself playing it a lot still today. Like, if I boot up the game, I'll just, like, I'm going to crush glass joe in the first like three guys that i face because i know those patterns so well and strictly from a game feel perspective 
there are not many like fighting games that feel as satisfying as punch out despite it being so simple like there's really just like left punch right punch you know uppercut versus not and the controls are super simple but it's just like very cleanly animated very it feels like everything you're doing has impact and when you win a fight these fights are like built up where i mean your name is little mac and you are physically like maybe a fifth the size of the guys that you are fighting to win those fights is just this moment of like true elation and incredibleness um it doesn't have a lot of analogs to modern day fighting games because fighting games have gone in a completely different direction that is obviously not you know one player and uh you know kind of these like puzzle fights but man i adore it and uh yeah they rock it's a good pick. Uh, I think that's it. I think we did it. We made it through another segment. So the the full list, I already mentioned this group's picks. Our previous picks were Resident Evil 4, Wii Sports, Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare, and Demon Souls. Wait, do we pick four? Oh, no. Oh, wow. We're going to have to get really choosy. That was we- an- another, like heavy hitters batch of years that was i mean that feels really tough to argue against and i believe we did bioshock as my pick for that group and what was yours uh and my pick was red faction gorilla right yeah so we're working our way through i think this is gonna be like a long project is my suspicion it is (laughs) um anything before we wrap um no i think that about does it a very full episode filled with excellent excellent games it really reminds you of just how many incredible games came out in that short five-year span yeah i was weirdly kind of worried about doing the 80s when we set out to do this i was worried it would be kind of boring episodes yeah i don't know what the i'll be curious to know what the 80 to 84 batch looks like it's it's good there's like some good stuff there i mean yeah it's weird it's different it's not good in the oh you know mario and zelda yeah sure uh sort of way but it is pretty good um cool well that has been another episode of the resties where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest thank you for listening we will see you next time Resties. resties